You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to a special Monday episode of Locked On Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Monday night, it's been a busy 24 hours or so for the Rockets on the rumor mill, not so much on the court. The Rockets are in the midst of their second consecutive off day before returning to the floor Tuesday night at home against the Portland Trailblazers. Hopefully, given the 11-14 and 14 start, the start of a stretch in which the Rockets have eight of their next 11 at home can kickstart the team to finally get on a stretch, or at least counteract this negative momentum that's associated now with losing seven of their last nine games, including going 0-3 on the just-completed road trip, which culminated Saturday night in Dallas. So tomorrow night, we'll have more basketball to discuss, but for tonight, we're going to talk about some off-court news, because there are three distinct items that have broken within the past 24 hours two within the past hour, actually, that have either direct correlation to the Rockets or somewhat directly correlated, I would say, in the case of Adrian Wojnarowski's report of ESPN about Trevor Ariza potentially going to the Lakers, or at least the Lakers interested in him in three-team trade scenarios with the Phoenix Suns. More on that later, because we're going to lead with the two items that, in my opinion, are directly correlated with the Rockets, that being the looming addition of Eric Gordon to the starting lineup and the seemingly imminent return of Brandon Knight to the bench, and why, in my opinion, there is a correlation between those two events. The first item that, to me, is the headliner, and this broke courtesy of Ali Bajani and Kelly Eco of The Athletic, along with Sham Sharania, The Athletic's national NBA reporter, the Rockets strongly leaning towards starting Eric Gordon in place of James Ennis tomorrow night against Portland. Why would the Rockets do this? Well, think back a few months. When the Rockets entered training camp in late September, This was the rumor. We discussed it on this show. It it was reported by Tim McMahon of ESPN. It's something that clearly they had in the back of their minds, dating back to the Western Conference Finals, when in my opinion, the Rockets were pleasantly surprised by just how playable the lineups were with Eric Gordon at the three against the Warriors. There was some thought that by giving up some defense, certainly some height, that against upper echelon teams like Golden State, and the Warriors in particular being, at least at one point, the Rockets' biggest competition. Now, just getting back into the playoff picture is the competition. But there was a thought that playing so small might cost them so much defensively that the offensive explosion isn't worth it. Well, what ended up happening in the preseason was that the Rockets had a wave of injuries, And honestly, it transferred into the start of the regular season when, before the first five games were through, the Rockets had injuries to both James Harden and James Ennis. So the Rockets were behind the eight ball, and what happened in a lot of these injuries, the Rockets ended up starting Carmelo Anthony, and with Melo starting at the time, Mike D'Antoni expressed trepidation when he was asked by the media of starting Gordon as well, because he wanted someone with some scoring punch to anchor that bench unit. And you can see why, eventually, as injuries overtake... Uh, started to overtake the Rockets, and then we saw what happened with Carmelo Anthony. The Rockets' bench got so bad from a scoring perspective, they had nine points in that overtime loss in Washington a couple of weeks ago, and I think they still remain either dead last or very close to dead last in scoring production off the bench this year. And I'm sure some will ask, 
Why didn't this happen earlier, like when they got rid of Mello and the, the lineup returned to normal? And the answer is, that's when the Rockets went on their five-game winning streak. They weren't going to mess with something that was working, especially when they were beating good teams like the Pacers, the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Pistons, the teams they beat in that streak. Then they went on the four-game losing streak, but the four-game losing streak, it wasn't clear how much was deficient with regards to the team as a whole and how much was the injuries with Chris Paul, Gerald Green, Nene, all of those guys out. Well, now that the Rockets are again on a three-game losing streak and again clearly on the skid without any outside source in terms of injuries or roles to blame, then yeah, it's time to experiment, in my opinion. The Rockets need a jolt. And that's what I think they're looking for Eric Gordon to provide. And I'm sure some will look at the fact that the Rockets are a top 10 offensive team this year and a top 10 defensive team on the season and say, well, replacing James Ennis with Eric Gordon, a smaller player that's older and not as good of a defender, does that really cure what's wrong with the Rockets? And my answer to that is what's wrong with the Rockets? It's not so much an X's and O's thing. It's a mentality. And for Houston right now, they're looking for any spark they can find, and that's why, in my opinion, they are open to making this switch. It also should be noted that Gordon has performed better as a starter than a bench player this year. In Gordon's eight games as a starter, he's averaging 19.5 points per game, shooting better than 34% from three. In his 14 games off the bench, he's averaged below 14 points per game on 28.6% from three. So he has been more comfortable as a starter. Now, it should be noted that in the games he started, that's been when either Chris Paul or James Harden has been out due to injury. So he's largely been in a number two role. It remains to be seen how he'll fare in that number three role. But in this case, I think the Rockets are hoping that he will space the floor. I think they hope that he'll provide a playmaking dynamic. And I think more than anything else, they're looking for a spark. I think it's something that has been in their minds for a while, really going all the way back to the Western Conference Finals when those three-guard lineups fared so well, perhaps surprisingly so. And that's why news leaked at the beginning of training camp that they were thinking about this as their starting lineup. Just ultimately, there was never really the right time. Because when you go through it, the injuries early in the season, the preseason as well, but certainly the first five games, it forced a lot of Carmelo Anthony at the four starting lineups, sometimes even at the three. And with Melo's scoring punch not there, Mike D'Antoni wanted Eric Gordon to come off the bench so that you wouldn't have scenarios like the bench that got so bad that they scored just nine points in an overtime game at Washington a couple of weeks ago. So that was early in the year when Carmelo was in the starting lineup. Well, then everything fell apart with Carmelo. They expressed their intention to part ways with him. But after that happened, that's when the Rockets went on the five-game winning streak. And certainly you weren't going to mess with the starting lineup when everything seemed to be working. They then, unfortunately, did follow the five-game winning streak with a four-game losing streak. But again, it was unclear how much of that was due to a downturn in the overall team and how much was just the injury situation with Chris Paul, Jill Green, and Nene all out, and Chris Paul coming back with being on a bit of a minutes limitation. And the absence of Brandon Knight, the Rockets not really wanting to take Eric Gordon out of that third guard role and presumably play him more at the three alongside Paul and Harden, especially given that, first, I think there was some hope that by returning Chris Paul Peary, they get a lot better. And secondly, not knowing how much they could get out of Chris Paul from a minutes perspective. Well, now that the team has suddenly lost three straight games again, and yes, all three games were against quality opponents on the road, Minnesota, Utah, and Dallas, give some credit to them, 
but certainly uh, the Rockets, they're in a bad place. There are no injury excuses anymore other than the minor one with Brandon Knight. More on that in a second. So it's clear that it's been the Rockets' mind for some time, the idea of potentially starting Eric Gordon and with the Rockets 11-14 and and really struggling mentally on a lot of levels. To me, this is the appropriate time. I think even though Eric Gordon doesn't solve the larger issue that's plagued them the season of the defense, he could potentially provide them a jolt. And more than anything, it's not X's and O's, it's not tactical adjustments, it's mentality, it's what's between the ears that's plaguing them most right now. Maybe Eric Gordon starting is the jolt that gets them back on the right track, at least temporarily, with a tough week coming up. Portland, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, the Jazz. I think the final variable besides the team's play was would there be someone else in that third guard role if you played Eric Gordon more at the three? And now, all of a sudden, there is with the looming return of Brandon Knight. I teased to it several times in the initial segment, but our second part of our three-part Monday show will be on the other piece of news, also broken by Kelly Eco, wonderful young reporter with The Athletic based here in Houston, which is that Brandon Knight was a full participant in the Rockets' practice today at Tudor Center, and he was a part of the scout team preparing for Tuesday night's game versus Portland. Now, at this point, I am not personally expecting him to play. There's a difference between heading the scout team and being an actual part of the practice. Now, that's not to say that it would floor me if he did. Clearly, there's a sense of urgency, which is why the Rockets are starting Eric Gordon or strongly leaning to that, according to the report from The Athletic. But... Mike D'Antoni has said all along that with Brandon Knight coming off an ACL injury two years ago and then an infection in that surgically repaired knee this summer, not having played games since 2016, that they're going to be cautious with him. Just 26 years old, he has a long future ahead of him. They want to make sure that he's right when he does come back, not just the physical recovery, but the mental as well, and being able to trust that knee. We have seen him play one game with the G League with the Vipers a couple of weeks ago. He looked pretty good then. Since then, he's been traveling with the Rockets and doing a few more things in practice. Monday was the first time he was a full participant. Still doesn't sound like he's quite ready to go. When Dan Tony was asked this weekend, he told reporters that it was another week to 10 days. It's since been three days, or it will be, when Tuesday night's tip-off against Portland gets here. Not saying that it's impossible they could bump it up from a week or 10 days to three days. It's not implausible, but for now, I'm thinking it's probably later in the week, the Lakers and Memphis, when they're slating him to come back. And if it happens to be Tuesday against the Blazers, treat it as a pleasant surprise. But bigger picture, the reason I think they're comfortable making the change to Eric Gordon as the starting small forward now is because the looming return of Brandon Knight. I do think there's a correlation there. They might go without him for a game or two, because they're certainly not going to rush it back just to fit a temporary need. But I think with the Rockets having two days off between Saturday's loss in Dallas and Tuesday's start at the homestand, Rockets with eight of their next 11 at home, it was a good time for the Rockets to make the change. Rather than try and do it in between games, maybe when you don't even have a practice, to get a practice after a day off, it's a more appropriate point to sort of hit the reset button, which starting Eric Gordon, making him one of the regulars, can potentially do. And... One of the big drop-offs, and it goes back to what Mike D'Antoni has expressed trepidation about all year long, is that if you take Eric Gordon out of the traditional six-man role, and keep in mind, this guy who two years ago was the NBA's six-man of the year, and last year was a finalist, it's who do you trust to generate offense off the bench? Because you do need someone, even though you generally have, assuming health, Chris Paul or James Harden playing all 48 minutes, and yes, those are two Hall of Famers, you've got one of them out there at all times, 
late in the first quarter, early in the second, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth. They probably don't have their usual level of energy that they do to start halves when they're fresh or, of course, late in games when there's just a lot of adrenaline going in. So even though one of those guys is out there, you probably don't want them carrying the burden every single possession. So it's not just about you want shooters, which the Rockets clearly prioritize anywhere in their scheme. They also want guys that can create some off the dribble. And that's what Eric Gordon can do. So when you take him out of that role, you want someone else to conceivably be able to step in. Also, if there are injuries, which it sucks, but they do happen. Chris Paul is 33 years old. He is somewhat prone to soft tissue injuries. And James Harden is not a spring chicken. He's taken on a large workload. His last two seasons, he's had hamstring issues. If something happens, you do need someone that's able to step in and actually run the offense and be able to handle the ball. That's something that Eric Gordon does. And if you start Eric Gordon at the three without Brandon Knight, I don't know who you turn to. We saw that late in the Western Conference Finals a year ago when the Rockets effectively had Gerald Green as almost their backup point guard because once Chris Paul went out and Eric Gordon started and there wasn't that third guard, well, Gerald Green was really the only backcourt guy you had to turn to. and It's not like he has any handles to him. So it's not just the fact that he's a guard in name, the fact that he can handle the ball, the fact that he can create his own offense, those are useful skills. And if you're going to play Eric Gordon more along the starters, you could use someone on the bench that could do those same things. That's why Mike D'Antoni has wanted a scoring punch off the bench, because it's a bench that we already know is not that good. And then if you have a bench in which you're just throwing guys like, what, Daniel House, now James Ennis, I suppose Nay is an upgrade over... Isaiah Hartenstein, but it's not like there's much in the way of guys you can can trust to generate their own offense, and especially if you're trying to manage James Harden's and Chris Paul's usage over the grind of an 82-game season, then in my opinion, you're asking for trouble in those scenarios. So that's why even if Brandon Knight isn't back tomorrow, the fact that his return, barring a setback, does appear imminent, to me, that's the final piece that makes this the time to experiment with Eric Gordon as your starting three. And I don't think it's going to be that big of an adjustment because, again, Eric Gordon has started plenty this year. If you're worried about how the guys respond to being in the starting lineup, or we've seen him do it plenty of times through the injuries to Harden and Paul, he's fared just fine, actually better than off the bench. And in terms of playing in a number three role, even though Eric Gordon has not started a lot of games, we have seen him close a lot of games alongside James Harden and Chris Paul. He did it last year as well. So I don't think this is going to be anything out of the ordinary for him. I think this is just the Rockets looking for a spark wherever they can find it. And in my opinion, the looming return of Brandon Knight and that coupled with two consecutive off days before this home stretch, in which they have eight of their next 11 at Toyota Center, that's the time. In terms of what happens to the minutes for the rotation, I really don't think that much. You're starting Gordon in place of James Ennis, but <clears throat> it's not as if James Ennis has played that much to begin with. He's only averaging 25 and a half minutes per game this year. His last five games, less than that, 22.8. He's been slightly foul prone. Also, his three-point stroke has been hit or miss for the year. He's above 36%, but for the last five games, he's right at 25%, which is nowhere near good enough. Ennis is a young player. He's still developing, but I don't think that shifting him to the bench really changes all that much. In some ways, what Ennis gives you, his activity level, might actually play better off the bench, going against guys who are a little bit less disciplined, whereas a starter sometimes you could see the veteran tendencies of the guys he's up against be able to take advantage of some of Ennis's aggression, especially in terms of being able to draw fouls against him, and that's what Ennis has been far too prone at doing this year. One reason he's averaged just 22 minutes a game in his last five, the uh, blowout win, 31-point margin in San Antonio, he played just 12 minutes because he had five fouls. That's something that's played out too many times this year, so maybe putting him against lesser 
experienced guys off the bench, that might play well to his skill set. But overall, you can still get him in the range of 25 minutes per game off the bench. I don't think it changes that much. I don't think it changes all that much for Eric Gordon either in terms of getting him in the upper 20s to low 30s. In my opinion, the only noticeable change other than roles and usage, now that will shift with Eric Gordon going into the starting lineup, and we'll see what the bench looks like with James Ennis' spark off of it. But when Brandon Knight returns, whether it's tomorrow or later this week, the 10 to 20 minutes that had been going to either Daniel House or Gary Clark will then go to Brandon Knight, and you'll slide Jill Green up to play more of those true swing minutes that, to various points of the season, had been going to House or Clark. That's not to say that House or Clark can't re-earn minutes at a later date, because it's not like Gerald Green, on a minimum contract in his low 30s, is just firmly entrenched in a rotation role. For that matter, James Ennis on a minimum deal. I don't think he is that entrenched. So if Gary Clark's shot gets going again, we know what he can do defensively. If Daniel House gets hot, then yeah, there's a path to minutes, because I don't think Gerald Green and James Ennis are all that firmly entrenched contractually or in terms of what they've shown you on the floor. I just think for now, the clear move is... Night into the minutes that have gone to House and or Clark and basically put them in a prove-it role, waiting for injuries. And if there aren't injuries, they'll get opportunities at some point. And if they get hot, then sure, you can look at taking minutes from a Gerald Green or a James Ennis, whoever it may be. But for the Rockets, they need a spark. That's why they're looking to start Eric Gordon. The only real drawback to it is the scoring punch, the creation punch that you're giving up off the bench. And that's where you hope that Brian Knight, a guy who just a couple years ago was a 20 points five assists per game player in the NBA, and now he's still just 26 years old. Yes, I understand his defensive deficiencies, but when you're talking about a guy, especially if you're bringing him off the bench and you're playing him against second teamers on the other squad, if you can hide those just a little bit and then have him pick up the slack for what Eric Gordon has been relied on for the past two seasons to provide you, then all of a sudden it does make it easier to slide Eric Gordon into the lineup as your starting three in place of James Ennis. What will that mean? It's a certainly a size drop-off, a little bit worse defense. Offensively, it should make them a lot better. We've seen the lineups, especially going back to last year with CP3, James Harden, Eric Gordon. They've all fared really well. And for a Rockets team that's already been better on offense than defense, I know that on paper it may not make the most sense, but if you've been a regular listener to me at Lockdown Rockets, you know that my belief, it's not about offense, it's not about defense, it's not about X's and O's, it's not about tactical stuff. It's a little bit about personnel, but the biggest issue is the mentality and In terms of internal solutions, before they can look to trades, which I think December 15th starts the unofficial trade season in the NBA, this is the move that, to me, is their last internal play. And with the Rockets facing a tough week, even though they're at home, the Blazers and the Lakers are good teams, to me, it's the appropriate team to try that, or the appropriate time to try that. And it starts tomorrow with what seems like the imminent return of Eric Gordon to the starting lineup as the three and sometime soon, if not tomorrow, fairly imminent, the return of Brandon Knight as your six-man spark plug, replacing what had been Eric Gordon. The last items I want to get to as we wrap up our Monday evening show, we spent the first two segments discussing the imminent ascension of Eric Gordon to the starting lineup and the close-to-imminent return of Brandon Knight, presumably as the six-man, the spark plug off the bench, the role that had previously been taken for really the past two-plus years by Eric Gordon. So that's what's 
confirm with the Rockets, or close to confirm, good sources by Kelly Eco and Ali Vishani of The Athletic about the Rockets that are actually on the roster. To close out, I want to discuss a couple of items that are, while more rumor-based, at the same time certainly intriguing because they either directly or indirectly impact the Rockets, those being national or sports from Mark Stein of the New York Times and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. I'll start with the most recent, which is in the past hours. I'm recording this at about 8 o'clock uh, Monday evening. A report from Mark Stein at the Stein line on Twitter. The Rockets have expressed exploratory interest in acquiring J.R. Smith, according to league sources. Smith is currently on hiatus from the Cavaliers as Cleveland seeks a new home for the veteran shooting guard via trade. In my opinion, I don't see much to this. I could be wrong. But my guess is either this is slightly dated intel. I do think the Rockets, as I reported last week, looked into this possibility before the aggregation deadline of Friday. Either it's dated intel or I think it's probably leaked from the Cleveland side or even the Houston side to drum up interest, to essentially keep conversation going to see if other teams might step up to the plate with offers, be it other players or in the case of Cleveland, other draft pick combinations or whatever it is they're looking for. The reason I don't buy the Rockets as a trade suitor for J.R. Smith at this point, look, he's just not that good of a basketball player. His player efficiency rating is 8.3 this year. In two of the past three seasons, yes, I am counting this abbreviated year so far, but in two of the last three, he shot 35% or below from the field. He's a pretty good career shooter, 37% from behind the arc, although this year he's barely above 30%. At 33 years old, he's nowhere near the defender he once was, passable at best. His shot selection is notoriously erratic. I just don't see him as that good of a fit as a basketball player anymore. The reason the Rockets would be interested in him, and we discussed it last week before the aggregation deadline, is because of his contract, because he has a very small guarantee. This year, he makes $15 million. Next year, only $3 million of his $15 million in the remaining year is guaranteed, so he's kind of like an expiring contract. That would have made sense for the Rockets a week ago when they could <clears throat> take that near-expiring deal and offered around the league in February as part of a bigger package should one become available. I don't think it makes sense this week because the only way the Rockets can make the math work for J.R. Smith at his $15 million a year salary without cutting into their current rotation, and no, they're not going to trade Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella, Eric Gordon, or P.J. Tucker, any of those guys for J.R. Smith, just be reasonable. The only way to make the math work would be by trading Brandon Knight, and I cannot see the Rockets giving up Knight's salary for J.R. Smith and not being able to trade J.R. Smith as part of a package. Now, they could trade him individually, but it would significantly limit their options. And if the Rockets were going down that road, I think they would have done it last week. It's not that the, that the Cavaliers wouldn't have done a deal. They did the same kind of deal with George Hill sending him to Milwaukee. So I think it was on the table then for whatever reason. Maybe the Rockets think that Brandon Knight can further improve his value. That's what I've speculated by playing. Whatever reason, that deal didn't get to the finish line. To me, that was the time. Now, I don't think that the Rockets and J.R. Smith, there's zero connection there. Now, if he's bought out by the Cavs, which some suspect, could the Rockets look at him as a potential three-point threat as a buyout candidate? Sure, I think the Rockets will cast a very wide net in terms of the guys they look at, especially once December 15th gets here and they can finally ditch the Michael Carter-Williams and Carmelo Anthony roster sluts. I think you could also see the Rockets target JR, more specifically his contract, in three team scenarios where maybe Brandon Knight goes to the Cavs, they give up a first round pick, JR Smith's virtual expiring contract goes to a third team, and then that team gives an asset that the Rockets want 
to Houston. Maybe something like that materializes. But in terms of the Rockets actually acquiring JR for basketball reasons, the only way I see that happening from here on out is if he's bought out and they can invest minimal resources. Brandon Knight's contract, as I have said for the Rockets, is not a minimal resource. It is the only way the Rockets can make the math work for an acquisition of any significance. And maybe there's a small hope, too, that Brandon Knight will turn into a, a good player He'll, here. We'll have to wait and see once he returns to the floor, hopefully this week. But even if he's not really a great fit for the Rockets basketball-wise, that contract is the only piece of significance with which the Rockets can match salaries for a player that they like. For many reasons, I don't view J.R. Smith as that player. In my opinion, the only way J.R. Smith made sense for the Rockets, well, either A, a buyout candidate, which, sure, why not if you're investing the minimum or close to it, but beyond that, if you could kind of kick the tires now, and if it didn't work out, then use that contract as a trade chip in February, along with any other deals you might need to package for something better around the league. Now that the aggregation deadline has passed, I just don't see that making sense for the Rockets. In my opinion, if they're looking at J.R. Smith, it's as a buyout or in three-team scenarios. I just don't see them giving up Brandon Knight, and that's the only way the math works. And more specifically, Brandon Knight's contract, the potential to combine it with other players' assets to make the math work in February for J.R. Smith that they cannot trade in a package. If they were going to go down that route, the time was Friday. It just doesn't make sense. So my guess is that's either dated intel or it's something that's leaked for a purpose to drum up other interests. I don't see the Rockets trading for J.R. Smith at, that, at this point. If that was going to happen, it would have happened last week by the aggregate deadline. If I'm wrong, I'll own it. I don't think I will be. The other report, and this is less directly related to the Rockets, is the report Sunday night from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN stating that the Lakers are engaged in talks to try and acquire Phoenix Suns forward Trevor Ariza. It says the teams have been working to find an agreement with a third team that would take on Lakers guard Contavious Caldwell-Pope as part of a potentially larger deal. Why is this relevant to the Rockets? Well, of course, Trevor Reza was a part of the team last year and a quality player of the Rockets for the last four seasons. And with everything going south, I don't think it's connected to Trevor Reza, but certainly the Rockets could use more depth. There's been a lot of interest in bringing him back. And if he's potentially bought out, could that be a fit? Sure, I think the Rockets would be open to that. However, this certainly is not a positive for that pursuit. For the obvious standpoint, it puts more suitors in the buyout market. I've said from the beginning that even though I think there's a decent chance that Ariza could get bought out. The Lakers are Ariza's home. He's played there earlier in his career. He's from Los Angeles, and right now they're a better team than the Rockets, and they've got LeBron James. Sure, that's a nice selling pitch, and that's if he's on the open market. And in addition to the fact that he's on the open market, the Lakers actually have pieces on one-year contracts. Talk about Brandon Knight's ability with that salary, the Rockets, that is, to match deals, well, Brandon Knight's got an extra year on it. So that's why his appeal is diminished. The Lakers signed so many guys on one-year deals this summer that once December 15th gets here, that's Saturday, then they can make deals work. Even if the Suns don't want them directly, then it's not that hard around the league to find guys who will take expiring contracts. Now, later on in the report, it says the Suns want to land a playmaking guard and a draft asset at the price of unloading Ariza. That's just posturing. Ariza's 33 years old. He's been a disappointment in Phoenix. He's not that good of a player anymore. Phoenix, this early in the year, buyout season doesn't even get until February. Of course, they're going to leak that. There's no reason for them to make a panic move. Now, they released Tyson Chandler earlier this year, bought him out, I know, but that's because he's been there for years. With Trevor Ariza, them, them signing him in the offseason, they're not going to cut him at the first moment. No, they're going to try and make a trade. That's what's in their self-interest. And the question is, can you find the right combination? The reason I've been skeptical of a trade for the Suns and Ariza is, okay, you can say this, but how many teams have one-year deals to make the math work close to Ariza's $15 million figure? Well, the Lakers are one of them. The only teams that can make the math work 
without giving Phoenix long-term contracts because the Lakers signed so many one-year deals this summer. So it doesn't sound like anything's that imminent because the Lakers, they don't have the young compensation that Phoenix wants and there's no incentive for Phoenix to panic and do something this soon. But long-term, they can make the math work without it going to a buyout and without giving Phoenix any sort of long-term uh, salary. So could the Lakers and Suns eventually meet in the middle with the Lakers giving them a second-round pick and Phoenix deciding it's better than buying him out? Sure. So yeah, it's a problem. It diminishes the Ariza odds. At this point, the only reasonable path that the Lakers want Ariza for the Rockets to get Ariza on the buyout market would be for Ariza to let the Suns know behind the scenes that he doesn't want to go to the Lakers, that his preference is somewhere else, perhaps Houston. If that's the case, given that the Suns just signed him this offseason and, and Ariza gave the benefit of the doubt to a bad team in Phoenix to be part of it, I don't think it would be seen positively around the league by players and especially agents that the Suns went out and traded him against his wishes to a place that he did not want to go. To me, that's the only reasonable scenario in which the Suns might buy out Ariza now because the Lakers have the one-year pieces to make it work is if Ariza lets it be known that he doesn't want to go there and at that point, whatever minimal return the Suns might get, I mentioned hypothetically a second rounder along with the expirings, isn't worth the negative stigma of trading a player who gave you the benefit of the doubt to sign this summer. At some point, you know, the, the return is not worth the headache that comes with that. That said, I really don't buy that scenario. I think it's likely that he ends up in L.A. based on this report because given the fact that the Lakers are playing well, the fact that Ariza is from there, the fact that LeBron is there, and they have the one-year contracts, Contavious Caldwell Pope, one-year $12 million to largely make the math work without giving the Suns any sort of long-term deals, there's a lot of reason, I don't think it's imminent, but to think that eventually it gets done if that's what the Lakers want to do. They just have more assets than the Rockets. Now, the Rockets could conceivably get in the game if they wanted to. I mentioned earlier the J.R. Smith three-team scenarios. Yeah, conceivably you could uh, deal Knight, say, to Cleveland and a first-round pick and use J.R. Smith's largely expiring deal to send to Phoenix and then Ariza to Houston. The reason I doubt, doubt that scenario is because, as mentioned earlier, Brandon Knight's salary is pretty big for the Rockets, and I don't see the Rockets using that one piece on a one-year expiring deal for a $33 million Trevor Ariza. Just as I don't see the Rockets using Brandon Knight's salary slot for a 33-year-old J.R. Smith, I find that extremely unlikely based on Smith's age and value as a basketball player at this point. I think the same is true for a 33-year-old expiring Trevor Ariza. I think the Rockets know, with them being capped out no matter what for the foreseeable future, they need that salary slot to make math work. That's the only real tool that Gerald Morey has to get in the game for bigger players, not just to the deadline, but conceivably this summer as well, when Knight could have even more value as an expiring contract. That slot is important to them, and I just don't see them using it on a 33-year-old J.R. Smith, or for that matter, a 33-year-old Trevor Ariza. So that's why, even though I don't think there's anything imminent regarding the Lakers and Suns, if the Lakers want Ariza there's a pretty clear path to a deal unless a reason makes it be known that he doesn't want it. And while that's possible, there's so many connections between Ariza and LA that I kind of think that he would be open to it. That's just my guess. I have no intel, but I do think the odds are pretty good that if the Lakers want Ariza, eventually he could end up there, especially because there's not going to be that much competition around the league for a guy at his age and declining ability to begin with. Anyway, I think that's where we can wrap up this Monday's show. As always, I appreciate y'all so much for listening. And as we chat again on Tuesday, we'll be back to basketball when the Rockets return to the floor against the Portland Trailblazers, seeking to snap a three-game losing streak and start a, an extended home stretch eight of the next 11 at Toyota Center on a positive note. 
Whatever happens, though, of course, we'll have you covered here at Locked on Rockets because we are your only source for daily podcast commentary on Houston Rockets basketball. If you want more content before our next show, including real-time game analysis, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben Dubose. That's simply my name. The show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Also got an email account, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com, a Facebook account, Facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, a website, LockedOnRockets.com. All those ways you can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, inquire about becoming a potential sponsor or advertiser of the program. Pretty much anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, or even you, the human being, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Also, if you've not subscribed to the podcast already and given us a five-star review, please do iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever your listening platform of choice is, you should be able to find us because we're part of a great network of shows at the Lockdown Podcast Network, experts across not just the NBA, but the NFL, also some Major League Baseball and college sports. So because of that distribution partnership, you can find us pretty easily. So search for Lockdown Rockets, subscribe, that's how you'll get episodes right when they come out, even before I post them to Twitter and leave a five-star review. And that's how we can look attractive to potential advertisers and keep the business model working here at Lockdown Rockets, the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Also, if you'd be kind enough to check out our sister shows on the network here in Houston, that includes Lockdown Texans, hosted by Robert Land and Brian Patterson. Unfortunately, the Texans had their nine-game winning streak snapped yesterday, a close loss at home to the hated Indianapolis Colts. The good news, the Texans are still 9-4 and four and in great position to get to the AFC playoffs, but more than that, potentially even get a bye given the Patriots' loss to the Steelers. So lots of good things, even with the loss, still happening around the Texans. So if you give a listen to Lockdown Texans, even a subscription and a five-star review, if you like football that much, I'm sure Robert and Brian would, would appreciate it, and you can find them at the same places that you find Lockdown Rockets. With the plugs out of the way, and again, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, those are among our platforms. But with that done, this is where the episode will be done. Again, thanks for listening, and please come back soon tomorrow when we have a recap of the Rockets-Blazers Tuesday night game right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.